Good morning. Today's lesson is from Roman chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Vicki, and grace and peace from Jesus to all of you. Amen. Okay, I want you to take one hand, hold it out like this. Take the other one, hold it out like this. Now pull. Yeah, I've done this in a sermon before. Um, keep pulling, by the way. And if you're at home, you can cheat. But if you're here, you got to keep pulling. That's the price you pay for showing up in person. I've done this before. But do you remember what it means? This is what it means to be Lutheran. We are unafraid to coexist with tension. We are okay with embracing paradox, and we choose to exist in the friction and the pull. Are you still pulling? Anyone tired yet? It looks simple, but... It's a hard pose. Feeling the tension and not running away from it, that's not how we live most of our lives. We seek out certainty. We crave routine. We wall ourselves up in little tribes. And so when we are asked to simply look at the tension and not make it go away, we just don't have the stamina. You got to build muscle to hold a pose like this. <laughs> and muscle only comes through practice. Are you still pulling? We're almost there, I promise. Not to the end of the sermon, but with holding the pose. <laughs> so this is one of the things that church is for. You can think of church like a gym of sorts. It's a place where we grow muscle together to inhabit the world differently. It's a place where we get strength and stamina to reject the easy answers that the world wants to push onto us. You can release. <sighs> Do not be conformed to the world, scripture tells us, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I was raised in the 90s in a culture of individualism, and this verse was always invoked like, you don't have to be popular for God to love you, you just gotta be yourself. <laughs> but this verse isn't about making people feel okay about not having a Tamagotchi at recess like all the other kids or whatever. The author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the early Christians in the city of Rome. Rome! It was the capital city, the seat of the empire. These Christians who lived there would watch as the words of one man would summon armies and levy taxes and build roads and bridges and coliseums. They would see that those who stayed in his good graces got rewarded. While those who had problems or those who resisted, they watched those get crushed with violence. Was it a good way to live? Were they happy about their existence? Did they think this was an effective and fair way to organize society? No, but it was easier for them to fit themselves into the world as it was and go along with an unfair system. They didn't have the muscle to do anything else. So they swam with the flow of the toxic river they were in. Perhaps even some of them were seduced by the displays of power of the emperor and the small ways that being near to it made their lives just a bit smoother. But then comes this scripture and the apostle Paul writes to announce that in Jesus there is another way of living one that is not content to walk down smoothly those paths that the twisted systems have built for us. One that gives strength and muscle to chart another course. Do not be conformed to the world. It's not about individuality. It's about the ways we resign ourselves to the world as it is our docile acceptance of the world's sicknesses, the ways we're lulled into complacency by the structures and systems around us, and how we learn to interpret our reality through the skewed lenses they give us. We don't have an emperor today, but we still do swim in toxic rivers with strong currents. Nowhere, is this more obvious than American racism? Many white people, including myself, are beginning to realize that racism is a lot more than individual acts of prejudice. It's like a 400-year-old house that all of us were born into and all of us are living our lives in. And it's hard to realize, as long as you stay in that house, how much hold it has over us all because it's the backdrop of our lives and we don't have any other way of living to measure it against. 
Pastor Angela Kaveb, one of the pastors at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Minneapolis. She's speaking at a conference this week, and she teased her talk with this quote. Today, I'm going to share with you a page or two from my own diary, the diary of a black clergywoman. I've twisted and contorted myself for decades, outwardly, inwardly, even theologically, all in an effort to stand up straight in a crooked room. Do not be conformed to this world. This is what scripture is talking about right here. If the walls around you are leaning and the people around you are leaning, you're going to feel the pressure to lean too. And we're not meant to live like that. The body wearies of contorting itself. And in this particular instance, it's important to note that not all bodies bear the weight of standing crooked equally. Angela's body and my body do not contort equally. She, as a black woman, feels most of the pain that comes with the contorted and crooked room of racism. But Angela has the wisdom and strength to resist it. She is rooted in God. She's stood there with this pose for a while. So she's got the muscle and the strength and the courage to call a thing what it is and take the posture of freedom of standing up straight. What's odd is that if you're in a crooked room where everyone is leaning, the people who look most off-kilter are the ones who are actually standing up straight. And it might look like the, to the rest of us who are leaning with the, the weight of the room that these people are straining and struggling and working harder than the rest of us, but that's not the case at all. This, friends in Christ, is where we need this pose. This is where we can be okay with paradox. Because the thing that looks easiest and most normal actually leads to misery and exhaustion. And the thing that looks hardest and least comfortable is actually the way to life and freedom. Anti-racism is work. It's labor that's really tough. And it's exhausting for me on a number of levels. I'm sure you all know that. I'm sure you've all had experiences where you try and you get overwhelmed. You get exhausted. You tap into a bundle of hurt that you didn't even know you were carrying. It's hard. And also, scripture today has me thinking that it might also be a source of joy and meaning and growth too. An opportunity for us to grow closer to the people that God has created us to be. See, scripture doesn't say, do not be conformed to this world, and so it's going to be a slog for you the whole time, and you're just going to be miserable. No, here's the second half of the verse. It says, be transformed 
by the renewing of your minds. I cannot speak for Angela and how it's been for her to assert her dignity in a world that doesn't want to recognize it. But I would hope that in the process of standing up straight, God has been at work sustaining and giving life and joy and energy. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It means something changes, something gives, something shifts. The word is renewing. It's not about dragging yourself over the coals. It's not about the guilt and defensiveness and the wounds. Yeah, there's going to be pain and uncertainty as we address race, as we start to undo racism, of course. But that's not what it's about. It's about grabbing hold of new life. It's about those words from elsewhere in scripture that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation it's about Jesus' promise, behold, I make things, all things new. It's about the dawning realization that the crooked room doesn't hold the power. It doesn't uh, encompass all of reality. There is another way of living, deep and true and abundant living. Living where we can, as the verse continues, discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? That's what renewal is. It's a freeing truth that brings us closer to God. Of course, things that are new seldom arrive without the departure of something old. And nothing new can come to a mind that's closed or thinks it knows everything already. Yes, the gift of renewal is offered by God freely, but I think it bounces off most of our skulls most of the time. The work of faith is getting ourselves in a posture of receptivity, of, being, of knowing that we have something to receive Paul describes this receptivity well in another phrase that requires us to do this pose and sit there for a while. He writes, we are to think of ourselves as a living sacrifice. That might be the best way I could think about describing doing anti-racism as a white person in America because yes, the work is hard and there's, an, there's a lot to unlearn. There's a lot of comfort and easy truths to be sacrificed. And once you start to see how the room is crooked, you start to realize how unsteady you yourself are. It's a sacrifice, but look, the sacrifice doesn't kill us. The paradox is that delving into this work, embracing the unknown, that's how God gives us new life. That's where our renewal comes from in the letting go and the receiving. Sure, you, especially if you are white like I am, might realize that you know less than you think you did. Think about how that uh, attentive that makes you to the world. Think about when you're in a new place, how wide and open your eyes are, 
how your brain is just taking in information for the first time and trying to process it. That is the opportunity here to receive with new eyes this world that we've been given, eyes that are not warped by the lenses of the twisted systems around us. I'm talking about race and racism, of course, because we are approaching the trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who murdered George Floyd. And we know, we all know, that our city is going to be under a lot of stress in the coming weeks. And this is where the push for conformity comes in full gear. It's strongest when tensions run high, because when tensions run high, people tend not to think, they only react, and they react in ways that accept the crooked room as an unchangeable reality. And this is where God needs our witness. This is where God needs people who know how to stand there in this pose, who have the muscle memory to wade into the tension and just sit with it people who present themselves as a living sacrifice, people who know the easiest path leads to misery and exhaustion, but the tougher path of learning to stand up straight and appearing off kilter leads to life. What would it mean to enter this period of tension if you are a white person, trusting that we have something to receive? What would it mean to not give pronouncements, not to rush to judgment, but to show up as a witness whose eyes are wide open, who knows precisely how little they know? What would it look like to not try to moralize the moment or lean on trite maxims that smooth everything over? What would it look like to not talk much at all, but let the mess be the mess? to simply witness the pain and hope of others, especially people of color, and how it exposes this crookedness of this 400-year-old house we're living in. Trust that God's renewing mercy will find you there, and you will begin to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then after that, after we receive, after we sit there with the tension, we can begin to think about how we respond. How, because then, in the scripture passage we read today, comes the promise, comes the joy. This, this promise of getting to embrace another way of living not the way of emperors, not the way of warped systems or racism, the way of Jesus. Here's the promise. We all have something to give, and that something is a little bit different from everyone else's. Scripture tells us, yes, we are members of the same body, but not all members have the same function. We each show up as learners in our own way, with small gifts that carry God's renewing energy. I've seen it here. I've seen Mount Olivet members using their small gifts 
after they have received and learned in, in starting to um, address racism. I think of one Mount Olivet member, and she knows how to stay coordinated. And so she volunteered to take all of the notes and the documents and the trainings and the communications on race and racism that our church has done um, since we, we started this summer and put them all in sequential order with a nice table of contents, right? That's her gift. That's her function in the body. I think about a ninth grader who we're confirming this spring. And this past summer, she sat and watched the news and she didn't know what to do. But she knew she liked making jewelry. And so she made beaded bracelets that said Black Lives Matter on them. And she started an Etsy account. And she donated all the, the proceeds to, to the NAACP. Small, but it's what she could give. I think about a Mount Olivet member who stood in silent prayer in her living room for eight minutes and 46 seconds during George Floyd's funeral. And she was holding on to her walker. All of these things are small, but they matter. They matter to God. The promise is God uses us to receive and to give and to share and to learn we all play a role here. Our bodies are all going to hold this pose a little bit differently, but yes, we hold it. And we trust that God will give us the muscle and stamina to navigate the tension until we can all stand up straight. Amen.